Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. everybody and welcome back to the Testudo Times podcast. We are back. I'm Dylan Spilko with Lauren Rosh and Sam Ostry. We are back once again to talk about Maryland football and we went to Columbus. We had a great trip over there in Ohio, six hours. I drove for a significant amount of it, still kind of drained and tired, but we went on that trip. It was quite the experience. It was our first road game of the season too. So, I mean, it was a tough game for Maryland, but overall, I mean, I think we all had a good time, right? It was pretty good. Yeah, first we should applaud Lauren and I should applaud Dylan for taking almost the entire taking the wheel almost the entire ride. He did an excellent job getting us there safely, there and back. Um, but yeah, it was a great time. Columbus was a very cool um, city. The game was very much of a blowout, but the Ohio State's one of the best teams in the country. CJ Stroud was incredible to watch. He should be a Heisman candidate this year if he can stay healthy the rest of the way. And he, I mean, it was it was a good time. Yeah, I agree. It was pretty incredible to be able to see the city and the campus and the stadium. I think it was a little bit surreal, honestly, stepping into that stadium and looking around and seeing really how massive it is. And, you know, but Ohio State's play really matches the greatness of that stadium. Uh, Maryland being pretty much blown out in that game, but still definitely worth the trip. I think it was a really great experience to kind of get on the road and cover on the road and being in, you know, on the road media availability and all of that was a great experience for our coverage. Oh yeah, it was definitely a good opportunity. And what, you know, it was crazy because you were, we were driving, going into the, uh, the Tuttle parking garage and, you know, you were just, we were just going along these strips of road that just had so many fans roaming the streets at like, it was, what was it, 9 a.m., 8.45? It was like four hours before the game. And you can just tell how much of a, a football town it really was. So yeah, it was a really good trip. And, you know, the football culture there is extremely, extremely serious. I, it's, it's not what Maryland is right now, certainly. It's not what the community looks like on Maryland game days in the slightest. So, I yeah, mean, Ohio State was a crazy trip. It's, it's, a, it's a football town. I mean, Columbus is very much a – and Ohio State is very much a football school. And the atmosphere on a game day was incredible, as we expected. I mean, that's what happens when you're a perennial national title contender. I mean, people will show up for the football team like we saw they did tailgating all day Saturday as we were heading into the stadium. Maryland's certainly not like that right now, but national title contender perennially, it's not just a one-time thing. I mean, Ohio State is always at the top competing for national titles, especially in the last decade or so. So, I mean, Maryland's not there. Maybe they, maybe they will be eventually, but not yet. All right, so let's get into the thick of it. Let's talk about the game that we actually went to go see. Number seven, Ohio State and Maryland. Maryland came into the game – uh, with a four and one record, they were coming off that ugly loss to number then number five Iowa. Uh, they lost fifty one to fourteen in that game. wasn't pretty. And then they came into this one still with high hopes of competing, 
And then Maryland, once again, faced another elite team in the Big Ten and dropped a big one, 66-17 to the final. Maryland's defense was pretty lifeless against the Buckeyes, but right before the game, as we were just getting set for kickoff, we got an update that Kenny and Jacorian Bennett in the secondary didn't play due to injury. Maryland was already missing Dante Demas, who was already out for the, ruled out for the season with a knee injury. And then you already had Brandon Jennings out. So Maryland's team was extremely depleted um, against the Buckeyes, and it clearly showed in that loss, and they gave up so many points. And then right out of the gates, you know, Jay Sean Jones goes down with that injury, wide receiver for Maryland. It's, it was a quick blow right to Maryland's upset hopes, considering how thin their wide receiver core was already without Dante Dimas talent-wise. And, you know, what did you guys see right after Jayshon Jones went out with, with that injury? And we don't, I don't believe we know if it's long-term or not, but it definitely looked like some kind of lower body injury. So, you know, what did you guys see about how the ball was spread around and who was Tagovailoa passing to? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, Coach Loxley put it perfectly after the game, which is that they're just not at the same, after these kind of two big blowout losses, Maryland is just not at the same caliber yet as these other teams. Like they've improved greatly being at four and two at their bye week is a huge improvement for this team. And I think they're really grateful for that. But I think, you know, hosting Iowa at home in that big game, going to Ohio State really showed them that they're not yet at that caliber and kind of that there's a lot for them to work to. I think that we now see, you know, um, Talia Tagovailoa kind of having to find other options. I mean, I think Rakim Jarrett only had one catch and it was that touchdown. And so I think that they're going to have to spread it out a lot more to their running backs, to their tight ends. A lot of them are going to become a lot more versatile in that sense. Yeah, just when Deshaun Jones went down, and like when Dante Demas went down the game before, you kind of felt the energy just go down. I mean, they, he was obviously – they're probably the best offensive player and you could just feel it all went downhill from there. I didn't really feel that way so much as Deshaun Jones, even though he is, he became one of their, their top targets, but it was kind of like, they still continued to drive a little bit. The next couple of drives, they were getting a lot of their tight ends involved. Um, uh, Talia was getting his, his tight ends involved, but Lauren's completely right. When she talks about, they're just not on their level. Moxley said it after the game. I mean, these are national title contenders. Like Maryland has made drastic improvements to get to four and two but they're not at a point where they can even compete with teams that are competing for a national title, like Iowa, um, like Ohio state. And then there's a few, few more that'll be on the schedule later in the year. But so that's, I mean, that, that was really a test for them. Like, are they even close to that level after four and start? And the answer is no, they're going to have some more mediocre big 10 teams that they'll play in the middle of the year and we'll see how they fare against them. But yeah. And, you know, the loss of Jayshon Jones is just more critical than what one could like previously think because he was the clear-cut number three guy in this wide receiver group. You had Dante Dimas Jr., who was by far and away the best receiver on this team, and then Rocky at the number two spot, who's now the number one guy. And then Jayshon goes down, and all of a sudden you have to fill in that second wide receiver hole, and then the fourth guy and the fifth guy has to step up for even more snaps. And guys like Daryl Jones and Brian Cobbs and Carlos Carrier, they really need to step up. And that's a lot to ask for Talia Tagovailoa because there's just, you know, Maryland can say as much as they want, you know, we have the receiver depth. We have exactly, we have guys that could start on other teams. But at the end of the day, like for the Big Ten, like their fourth and fifth string guys, they're not going to be as big of game changers as their other guys were. So, I mean, you saw it in the offense. I mean, 
there weren't any real explosive plays before Rockham's play. And it just, you know, the offense kind of, it didn't necessarily stall, but it did tie its season low in points. And it does raise the question, you know, can Rakim Jarrett become that number one guy? Because he only ended with one borderline meaningless touchdown in the third quarter, I believe it was, when the game was already set in Ohio State's favor. You know, it's, it just raises the question, he came to the program as a five-star guy. Can he now step up in the absence of Dante Dimas Jr.? And after that first game against not even a, a top – defense in the Big Ten, it's not like he had a, a great game. So it really raises that question. Yeah, Maryland's most deepest, best, most talented position group in the wide receivers really quickly became its thinnest. And that's really a problem for Talia, who needs those kind of weapons. The offensive line didn't have a great game against Ohio State's pass rush. So he really needs those weapons and guys he can rely on. And Rakim is incredibly talented, obviously a five-star guy. He's a good route runner. He's very athletic. He's an explosive playmaker, but he's not as consistent as people would like him to be. And that consistency really just comes with experience. I mean, Dante was incredibly consistent, someone Talia could rely on, and he would, but he was a senior. So that consistency comes with experience, and Rakim's only a sophomore, so he doesn't have that type of experience. And his freshman year was only five games last year. So he doesn't have that type of experience that you need to develop that consistency. But he, he really, this is the time where he's going to be able to, he's going to need to um, need to become as consistent as ever and a reliable option for Talia if this Jashon injury is going to be long-term too. Yeah, and I think that the rest of the season will really allow him to kind of get in those reps that he needs. I think it's tough with um, Dante Dimas going down against Iowa. Iowa, obviously, an incredibly challenging defense. And then to go to Ohio State and those kind of be those first two games that you're playing without your top receiver – definitely an added challenge that is a little bit more external. But I think, you know, the more times that, the more games, the more environments like this that Rakim is in, I think you forget it. it's an abbreviated season last year, no fans, you know, COVID protocols, everything. This is really his first real season kind of getting a full season in and a regular season in. So I think the more games that he's playing in the rest of the kind of going into the second half of the season and on the the bye week really just reshifting his focus to being like I kind of have to be this number one guy now that Dante is up and Dante's out and I think that um coach Oxy does a good job of putting this where it's like they really just do try and have that next man up mentality and once for Kim really kind of processes that I think he'll really be able to translate that into success yeah I think he should be able to but you just look at his last four games excluding the first two games when he had uh Two, he had back-to-back -back games with six catches and over 67 yards. And then against in the third game against Illinois, he had four catches for 70 yards. Then against Kent State, one catch for six. And then Iowa, one catch – four catches for 11 yards. And then most recent game, one catch for 43 yards. So not the Mr. Consistent that Demas was by any means. And when you take away that long ball from Jared – you know, I don't know if he could step into that true number one wide receiver role. I think he's a perfect complementary guy to a guy like Dante Dimas. And he fits in that role perfectly where he can really stretch the field with his speed. But if he's relied on to be that number one guy, I'm not sure that he's going to rack up the six or seven or eight catches a game. I think he is. I think he is a big playmaker and he can he's definitely a game changer with how fast he is. I think he's easily the, the quickest you know, speed guy on this team. But outside of what he's able to do on the long ball, you know, I don't think he's really proved that he can beat these 
more elite defenses in the Big Ten and become that number one guy. But he's definitely talented enough and explosive yeah. Oh, yeah. to be the number one receiver. And that's the reason he was a five-star recruit and Maryland wanted him that bad. But the only question is when he's the number becomes the number one guy without Dante, when he becomes the number one guy without Dante, he garners so much more attention. And so when he gets so much more attention, it's going to be harder to make plays and harder for Talia to find them. So that's where he needs to learn over the rest of the season in these final six games and the second half of the season is really just like when more attention is on him from imposing defenses because he becomes the number one guy, how is he going to work with that? And how is he still going to find a way despite more defensive tension to make plays and, and be a weapon for his quarterback? Yeah. And that leads in, I agree with that. And then it just, he, he certainly has the talent to be the number one guy. 100% has the, what he need like he has the skill set to be that number one guy. He has that talent, but then, you know, looking at, how the offense developed with him is the number one guy. I think that so much of the target share went to Chigazim Okonkwo that it was, you know, it's, it's hard to question whether or not that he could do it. Cause Okonkwo ended that game against Ohio state with uh, five catches. He had a team high five catches for 56 yards, averaging 11 yards per catch on six targets, which also was a team high. So just for the amount of target share that Okonkwo was going to soak up, you know, I don't know if Rockin is going to really average like around five catches a game. You certainly hope from a Maryland offensive standpoint that he can provide that sort of production. But from what we've seen so far, I mean, he's a perfect complimentary guy, but I'm not sure that he's going to be able to take on that lead role. So, and then that just leads us to that other topic of Chigazimakonkwo. I mean, the tight ends have been a really impressive piece of this Maryland offense so far. Especially last game, I th in my grades article, I rated them as the highest ranked uh, position because Aconquo finished, I said it before, five catches, 56 yards. And after the game, uh, Talia Tungabailoa said, I have a growing trust in my tight ends. I'm starting to trust them a lot more. And I think we're starting to see that. I mean, and he's going to steal a lot of targets moving forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Chig's been great. Originally in the season, we thought maybe he'd only be a red zone threat. That's really only what Talia was targeting. Now with other weapons down, I mean, I, I think he's, he's one of the, his top targets, regardless of it, if, if they're in the red zone or where they're on the field. Because he, he's a good, he does a good job of, especially in zone defense, just getting to the middle, sitting there, and making plays because he's a really athletic, strong dude. And I think people expected this because people forgot about him last year. He didn't play due to medical reasons. But he is that talented, and he's that capable of making explosive big plays. And so he really was a breakout player coming into the season. And Maryland to be able to use their tight ends and have them as a legitimate threat when they weren't at all last year, that opens it up for, for so many other guys, including the quarterback and the receiver, Ken Jarrett, that we've been talking about. Yeah, you just, you know, at the beginning of the season, you said it before, I mean, we thought that Okonkwo was going to be primarily this red zone kind of big target that Maryland could add in, into the end zone on, you know, close plays. And he started the season, he had just four catches over his first three games. And then he tied that exact total in the fourth game of the season against Kent State. And the last two games, he's added eight combined catches. So he's really taken a big step forward as the season has moved along. And he's going to continue to be a factor moving forward. And you can't forget about Corey Deitches, who also is a factor in the tight end group. He's been pretty solid for Maryland, too, as a backup. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a good sign to see that the tight end group is capable of taking on more of a workload. And for the second half of the season, I'd expect them to – really step up in the absence of Dante Dimas. And then, so looking at Togo, Talia Togo Bailoa, you know, we haven't even looked at him yet. So the guy, 
you know, he might he may have been the best player for Maryland against Ohio State. He went 28 for 39 for 279 yards, had two touchdowns, did have two interceptions late, but the game, you know, already out of reach. He kind of did what he had to do for the first three quarters. He did miss some throws early on. I think in the first quarter he oversailed the wide receiver on a roughing the passer play. But, you know, it, it, to me it wasn't that concerning to see him throw two picks in the fourth. You know, I get you're down – must have been like – over 30 points, Maryland was down big. The game was presumably already over, you know. And then were, were you satisfied with the performance that he gave out against Ohio State, or could we have seen more? No, I think, I think there's not much to be critical of for Talia for that performance. It was a huge bounce-back spot, bounce-back spot after a pretty horrific performance against Iowa, five turnover, five interception day for him. So a lot of eyes were on him, see how he would bounce back, what his decision-making be better. I thought he did a good job. I mean, the story of this game was – Maryland's uh, Ohio State's one of the best offense they have in the entire country against Maryland's injured defense. So I don't really think the off- Maryland's offense did that poorly, especially they had a few good drives. There was one where they were driving, pretty much went down the length of the field, long drive, ate up clock, but then they, they went for a fourth down and didn't get it. But like you said, uh, Talia was 28 for 39, 279 yards and two touchdowns. Those two interceptions are – they're down 40 points, and he's trying to make, make, make something of nothing and just throwing the ball deep and just bad reads by him. I'm not really taking those interceptions into account into his performance. I mean, obviously, we'd like to have them back, but I'm not really worried about that. I thought he was the best offensive player, maybe best player all around for Maryland. It was an encouraging performance, especially considering how poor he played the week prior. Yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly what you want to see out of your quarterback especially after throwing five interceptions at home on Friday night in the most hyped up game of the year. It, it's good to see him kind of bounce back for those three quarters. And I agree. I think the second interception, it was deflected off of Carlos Carrier's hands. And, you know, there's just a bunch of things that go into a player's mind of how they play when they're down by that much. And, you know, at the end of the day, he only had 11 incompletions against a defense that is like around in the middle of the pack uh, passing defense wise. So, uh, Tucker Valoe, he, he had a decent day, but you, you, I, th- I think I would have liked to see just a little more, but it's, you know, it's so hard to blame him with the, the lack of elite weapons that Maryland's offense is kind of depleted to. And then looking at the, the running back core, you know, Challen Famatau, I, I think that's how you pronounce it. I, I didn't really practice it before, but um, He's out of he's, – he's a native of Hawaii, and he had nine – we finally got to see him in action. We really haven't seen him come away with that many carries this year. He had nine carries for 71 yards. And then on the other hand, Teon Fleet Davis, who has been kind of a standout for Maryland's offense, had eight carries for seven yards. So a real different uh, progression of how those running backs performed. You know, is, is that a sign of things to come, or is this just Maryland was down by a lot and looking to get someone else in the mix? Well, it wasn't just that they were down by a lot and throwing the ball. I mean, they were – it was a really poor performance from the running back position. And maybe that overall – I mean, Ch- um, Challen, he had a good game. I mean, it was encouraging to see see him perform. But from the running back position as a whole, 36 carries, not all were designed runs, but they ended up carrying the ball 36 times for 56 yards. I mean, you can't really get an offensive flow and offensive rhythm going when, when that's the case. And so that really hurts Talia too when you're factoring in his performance. When, when he doesn't have a running back, running game to look to, to maybe get four yards of carry, five yards of carry, and then make him an easier manageable third down situations, it's not, it's, it's, it puts a real burden 
on Talia. And so that running game really needs to be cleaned up. And I think it had been coming to the year. We weren't, we weren't sure what to expect. Tam Fleet Davis obviously became the primary back and they had been pretty good about putting, taking some pressure off Talia in the passing game, but against Ohio state, they could not get anything up. Yeah. And I also think something that I apologize for the silence again, network issues that keep plaguing this room over and over again, but I think something that's really admirable that we kind of hear about off the field also is the relationship between Talia and Jalen. Both of them have, you know, their families are close and there's a nice connection there. And I think one of my favorite parts of Saturday, like as tough as the loss as that was, when somebody spoke to him in the press conference, Talia in the press conference about Jalen's performance, his face really did kind of light up talking about him. And I do think that you know, maybe without all of his weapons necessarily kind of on the outside. I know he also has a lot of admiration for Tam Fleet Davis as well, but like hopefully there will be kind of like a nice even maybe kind of distribution of, I don't think it's necessarily this imbalance or this flip is necessarily going to set the tone for the second half of the season, but like maybe we do see Challen kind of like, we know that that trust is there between the two of them. And now we've seen him kind of perform in a way that was pretty positive for Maryland. So I think that it could be maybe telling that hopefully he kind of can see more time on the field and get some more reps, but I don't think it necessarily is going to shift the tides at all. Yeah. I'm not sure it's going to shift the tides much either. I think he's definitely going to see a challenge. He's going to see a lot more snaps out of the backfield. I think that he proved that he's, he's a good runner. I mean, he looked pretty good against Ohio state. He was finding the holes and he, he runs pretty hard too. And I think with Fleet Davis, I think what gives Fleet Davis the edge is obviously his pass catching ability. I think his, his dual threat kind of skill set out of the backfield is what separates him from the rest of the running back crew. And he's had a catch in every single game this season. So I think that's why Fleet Davis is kind of solidified into that running back one spot as he has been all year. But yeah, I think Challen is going to, he's going to really, he's going to make an impact moving forward. And I think this nine carries for 71 yards is just one step in a positive direction for the senior. So I think that's enough talk about the offense aspect of this game. And now we got to get into the ugly part. The, the defense had its easily, easily by far and away. We didn't think it could get much worse. I mean, it wasn't really their fault against Iowa that much due to the field position, but the defense did not look good with all of the injuries. CJ Stroud, Ohio State's quarterback, went off 406 yards, five touchdowns. It looked like he was playing some backyard football in Columbus. Uh, you know, is, is this concerning at all, or is this just a sign of Maryland's defense being injury-ridden and not really ready to compete with what is probably the nation's most efficient scoring offense? Well, look, I mean, first, coming into this game regardless, we expected Ohio State to put up a ton of, ton of points. I mean, it's the, coming into last week, it was the first, it was the best scoring offense in the Big Ten and the third best in the entire country. So we were expecting, even though Maryland's secondary had been pretty strong this year and maybe the strongest part of that defense, you were still expecting C.J. Stroud to tear them apart. And then once you come into the game, you have Kenny Bennett and Ja'Cory and Bennett not playing. I mean, it, it, when you're playing fourth, fifth guys on that depth chart, it's going to be really difficult to stop anyone. And Ohio State's receivers were open all day. C.J. Stroud, whatever he got, he wanted. You said over 400 yards, five touchdowns. So I don't know if it's a concern. I think – both those guys, both the Bennett's, not they're not related, but both Kenny Bennett and Jacorian Bennett had hamstring injuries, um, and so I think we they're not expected to be out long term, and hopefully that brings back a little bit of that secondary, and they're not going to face an offense that's that prolific the rest of the year, 
but it certainly was uh, discouraging to see that. Yeah, I mean, it kind of looked like, you know, you put it well done, but it kind of looked like um, Ohio State was running an offensive clinic on them. And I think part of that is, is like you had Nick Cross and Tarheep still there who are at the top of the pack for Maryland, but then you had Kenny Bennett and Ja'Cory and Bennett who kind of fill that gap between maybe some of Maryland's strongest in the secondary and the not as strong. And I don't think it's necessarily super discouraging though, because I do think just as a team, and we touched upon this before, like Maryland is just not necessarily ready to compete at that level yet. And maybe they're trending in the upward direction. But I think that when I see games like this, I don't necessarily think of them as super discouraging. Would I have liked to see it be a little bit closer for the sake of watching Maryland's program build? I think most definitely. But when you look at kind of how the odds were stacked against, you're looking at, as Sam said, one of the best offenses in the country. And then you're looking at Maryland's fractured defense that was coming into this game. So I don't think it's necessarily discouraging. I think if Kenny Bennett and Ja'Cory Bennett aren't, you know, aren't in the lineup, if they were there, I, it was this big of a blowout, I maybe would feel a little bit differently, but I do think Ohio State was just on a different playing field. Right. I think, and I think, you know, you talk about it, you know, not being concerning to us, the, the journalists who are covering this team every day. But I think we talked about this after Iowa, when the casual fans and just other people that are rooting for Maryland see the final score and watch the first 30 minutes of the half. If you don't know much about the team or if you're not just focusing on the, on the details, like, you, like, like if you didn't know that Kenny and Ja'Cory and Bennett were big factors on this defense – you're just going to go ahead and think, oh, the Maryland program, once again, can't hang around with the big boys of the Big Ten. And while that is true, it's just you need to understand kind of the inner linings with this defense. And it's, you know, it's concerning because most of the people that you're probably going to read on social media are going to bash the Terps for not being able to compete. But at the end of the day, they had half a defense in. We're also forgetting that Brandon Jennings, one of the tackle leaders on this, on this linebacker core, was not in the game. Then Fanage Gote is, you know, he had a, he's been out for a while too. So the linebacker core is banged up. The secondary is banged up. There are just so many holes on this defense due to injury. And I think during the press conference, I think we heard this a thousand times that the bye week couldn't come at a better time for Maryland. And I couldn't agree more because coming off these two wins, they desperately need a bounce back against Minnesota. And we will preview that next week. But, you know, overall, the Ohio State offense, Travion Henderson, goes for 102 yards on 16 carries, two touchdowns. Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and Garrett Wilson, man, is that one talented trio. They absolutely exploded against Maryland, and they were you said it, Lauren, they were running a clinic against Maryland's defense. So first half of the season is done. I, we honestly can't believe it flew by this quickly. And now I guess we can do some quick first half of the season superlatives. You know, we're going to do – uh, MVP, most underrated player, and X factor for second half of the season. And I guess I will go first. I think the MVP, without a doubt, is Talia Tagovailoa. I think he has performed excellently for Maryland this season, despite those two games, those two sort of letdown games. But he was near the top of the Big Ten. He was getting a lot of national praise. And, you know, hopefully if he keeps he, – Maryland's play relies on what he does on the field. So he's obviously been the team MVP. Um, most underrated player, I, I still think it's Tayon Fleet Davis. I still think that he has been sort of an underrated guy on this Maryland team, despite not really producing the last two weeks. He still has five total touchdowns on the season, 
and he's at one point he was averaging 7.1 yards per rush and he's been a big factor as to why this Maryland offense has been as pretty good as it is and considering that Maryland came into the season without much hope for their their backfield they didn't have a really star to count on I think Fleet Davis is certainly filled in that role well and then x-factor for second half of the season I'm going to go with Chiggas and McConquo. I mean, I think it's a clear choice. He's going to have to step up with Dante Dimas down, and he's going to have to be a big factor moving forward. He's certainly stepped it up these last three games, but Chig is going to have to become the, the number one or two option on this offense if it's going to survive. I completely agree with the MVP of the, of the team. It's Talia Tagovailoa. I mean, he's, he was great through four games. He was garnishing some Heisman attention, maybe against – some of it wasn't against the best competition, but he was still performing at a very high level. You said it, Dylan. This team goes as far as he goes. I mean, if he puts up monster numbers and their offense is clicking, they could compete with anybody. They haven't done that the last two weeks, so they haven't been able to compete with those top teams. But he's also dealt with some adversity. He had a really poor performance against a great defense in Iowa, lost two key receivers like we talked about. And so, I mean, I think I think he's been he's the MVP. And despite that performance against Iowa, I still think he's the guy and can, will continue to be the guy for the foreseeable future. Um, my X factor, I'm going to – oh, no. We'll go to the underrated player first. My underrated player for the season is Sam O. I'm not going to try to pronounce the last name. We'll just say Sam O. Okuwano. Okuwano. I practiced that one times. And I'm Sam O too, so it's the other Sam <laughs> But, but, but um, he's – I think he's had a phenomenal year so far. Probably the most consistent and best defensive player on the team. Um. He's just been done a great job of getting to the quarterback in a way no other pass rusher on that team has. And while the strength is probably still their secondary with Darheeb still, with Jacorian and Kenny Bennett back there, with Jordan Mosley, that's the most talented position group back there on the defense. But Sam O has been underrated, doing a great job of getting to the quarterback and creating opportunities for the secondary to, to make some turnovers. And then my X factor for the second half of the year is Rakim Jarrett which might be a little surprising, but it's, it's for the exact same reasons Dylan talked about with Chick. I mean, he, he, since Dante went down, he really hasn't produced a whole lot. And for this offense to go where it's capable of going and Talia to continue to, to play at a high level, he's going to need to count on Rakim. And if Rakim's capable of that and can do that at a consistent level, then this off the sky for the rest of the season, the sky is the limit for this offense. So that's why Rakim's my X factor. Um, I would say I agree with both of you that Talia is definitely the MVP. I think that he kind of started expectations where kind of everyone was looking to see, you know, what kind of jump he was going to make, how he was going to do. I think the last two games, his decision-making hasn't been as great as they were at the beginning, but, and that's definitely something that he kind of, I guess, beats himself up about a little bit. And you can kind of tell when you're in availability that, he kind of always after the game, he regrets some of the decisions that he makes. And he'll talk about it on Tuesdays also how moving forward, he's trying to eliminate those mistakes. I think once he does, you know, his gameplay is going to clean up even more. And I just definitely think that going forward, if he continues to succeed, Maryland will succeed as well. It's really nice for them to kind of have this returning quarterback. It's not something that they're so used to seeing. We talked about that kind of towards the beginning of the season, but just kind of to see, the consistency that he's had has been, at least definitely at the beginning, has been nice. Um, my underrated player, uh, I'll say Jordan Mosley, I think. I think that he's been making a nice impact for Maryland. Um, you know, he, 
he leads the team in tackles, you know, 29 tackles on the season. He's got two pass breakups, and, you know, that's behind Tarheeb Still, Nick Cross, um, uh, Ja'Cory Bennett, like all the all the guys who are those constants for Maryland, the ones you kind of see in all the headlines. But I think, you know, Jordan Mosley does a lot of great work for Maryland's defense and, you know, kind of keeps them pretty steady and strong and brings some nice kind of experience along with him. And I think he could be a strong player going forward, especially depending on, you know, where we see everyone else. And then my X factor for the rest of the season um, I, I agree that it's um, Chigazima Kanko, but I also think that Corey Deitches is going to have a huge kind of hopefully breakout coming up for himself, you know, hopefully for himself that he continues to kind of make strides in his game. I think coming in the biggest question or one of the biggest question marks for the team was the tight end position. And I think now when we're at the halfway point, when the team's at the halfway point of the season, we're at the halfway point of covering the team. It's really been interesting to watch how both of their gameplay has developed. And I think that, you know, Chig will definitely kind of continue to have these big impact plays, but I think it's really the plays that when Corey Dye just comes in and kind of relieves him, it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do. All right, so our first half superlatives are done. So now we can focus on the second half of the season. How wonderful. So now there's six games remaining on the 2021 schedule. Maryland will go on the road to Minnesota on October 23rd next. That'll be a 3.30 game on Saturday. Then Indiana at Penn State at home and then back on the road to face a surprisingly amazing Michigan State team, and then a strong Michigan team at home, and then they will end the season on the road at Rutgers. So now the question becomes for the second half, can Maryland get to six wins? That has been the question. That's been the question since the beginning of the season, and it's the question every single season. Can Maryland get to that elusive number? Will they reach six wins? And I think the answer to that is I have no idea. It's you have no idea how this team is going to play on a a week to week basis. And with games coming up against Minnesota and Indiana, I think those are the two most winnable games that Maryland will have. I think that the games against Penn State, Michigan State and Michigan are going to be losses. I think that's a pretty fair assumption against three of the top currently top 10 teams in the nation. So let's just focus in on the Rutgers, Indiana and Minnesota game. I mean, are they going to win two out of three of those games? Because that's ultimately what the season storyline question comes to. Well, first, I think you're right. Michigan and Penn State, they have no shot in those. It would be a miraculous upset. Michigan State, I don't think, is as out of reach as people might think. Yes, they're ranked 10, but I think this team is vulnerable and they're a little overrated and that 10 ranking will not be there for very long. So I don't think that game's as out of reach. I'm not saying they're going to win it. But I, I would I would circle that one for Maryland fans. When it comes to Indiana, um, Minnesota, Rutgers, Indi- all those teams are beatable. I mean, I'm not I don't know if they're going to be favored in those games, but I think they're very even matchups. Indiana is a homecoming weekend, October 30th or 31st, whatever is last weekend in October. That's a homecoming weekend. It'll be a home game. Should be a good atmosphere in Maryland. A day Saturday game. So that that has potential to be a win. Minnesota's off a bye, so maybe they become more healthy. They have extra time to prepare. That could be a factor in a Minnesota win. Um, and then Rutgers, I think that one, they're a much improved Rutgers team. That one really comes down to, like, is Rutgers still playing for something? Because that's the last game of the season. So when I, I really, these, six, these next six games, I think they're going to win two of them. Um, I don't know which exact two, but I think they're going to finish season two and four, and they're going to get that six and six record and be bowl eligible, and maybe they'll get a bowl game. Yeah, and I don't, 
I don't necessarily, I wouldn't be surprised if that Rutgers game turned out to be the game that Maryland was playing for to get into the, get into, get a bowl game. I think that that wouldn't be so atypical, especially kind of follows the storylines of this Maryland team. I feel like sometimes no matter how much work they're putting in off the field and practice and everything, they kind of get to the game. And sometimes the ones that, you know, they're expecting to win, they don't. We've seen it in the past. This is a completely new team, but you know, we've seen it in the past where expectations are high and they get to some of these games and they fall into the trap and they, it doesn't work out well for them. I think when you look at Minnesota, I think they have a relatively good chance of um, coming back home with that win. I think, um, you know, coming off the bye, Minnesota dealing with some injuries in some of their stronger positions, I think will definitely um, give Maryland a little bit more of an opportunity to maybe win that game. And I do think returning home and playing Indiana, which is not one of the stronger teams that Maryland will see this season. I think that, you know, being back at home after the bye week, being on the road for two weeks, it'll kind of been, or being on the road bye week and then being back on the road, I think it could play to Maryland's benefit. I mean, it's not like Indiana's losses have been to terrible teams. They lost to, I think, Iowa, Penn State, Cincinnati, you know, definitely no, not, not, not lackluster teams. However, I think that Indiana being homecoming, being like maybe there's another kind of energy on campus didn't necessarily work with Iowa, but that could kind of play into their favor. But again, I really wouldn't be surprised if they dropped one of those two games and it ended up being Rutgers kind of being the game, last game of the season on the road. They have to go to Rutgers and kind of play into this bowl. It just kind of feels like it fits their storyline of who this team is and kind of it coming down to the wire and then them kind of winning that game. So I do think that they'll win at least two of those three games, but I just really wouldn't be surprised even if Minnesota and Indiana feel like the more likely wins if they dropped one of them and Rutgers ended up being that one. Now I'm convinced that Maryland season is going to come down to Rutgers. So you've convinced me on that part. I think Maryland. I <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's going to come down. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, of course it's going to come down to Rutgers. They're going to go into there with a, a five and six record and they're going to have to win. But, yeah, I think that they can win two, uh, two of these next six games. And they, they really have to. If, you know, we've seen so many positive strides this season, I don't think it's a question of, you know, when are they going to eclipse this six-win six win margin. And I think it's now's the time. Now is the time to finally do that. And if you don't, I think it just, it just doesn't send a good ripple throughout the entire, entire program. So I, do, I think the wins will ultimately come against Minnesota and – I guess Rutgers, because I guess it'll come down to that. But that's who I think the two wins are against. So and, we, we have evaluate, Excuse me. And then when you evaluate when we're at the end of the season, we're saying, was this a successful season for Maryland football? I think if they can get a bowl game and get that six-win benchmark, we can say that it's a successful season, especially considering the injuries that, that they've um, oh, yeah. encountered along the way. So, I mean, if they don't, I don't know if we'll be saying the same thing, considering the expectations coming in, but it'll be interesting. If they get to six wins without Dante Demas and all these injuries on their defense, yeah, oh man, this is a successful season considering what they've what the cards they've been dealt. So I think that'll do it for our great football talk. We'll have to preview Minnesota next week with our bye week, so we'll have to figure out a lot of content to talk about there, but we'll certainly figure it out. So let's talk about Men's Basketball Media Day. I only showed up for the first 30 minutes of it like a bad journalist, but my two – Crewmates, Sam Ostry and Lauren Roche, they, you guys were both there for the entire day. You got to see the team practice. You got to speak to some of the players, the assistant coaches. Yeah, what are some of your guys' takeaways from the day as a whole? 
Well, yeah, I'd say that. Go, go ahead, Lauren. I was just going to say, I think every media day you go to, coaches are feeling optimistic about their team and, you know, optimistic about the season. And Mark Turgeon was no different. But I think, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we kind of saw why they're so optimistic or why him and the rest of the coaching staff are so optimistic. Maryland put in the work in the offseason, I mean, there's players whose bodies have completely changed since they last stepped on the court. You know, they've kind of transformed the way that they've worked out, been eating to get more prepared for the season. Um, Mark Trojan worked the transfer portal. He got some really, really great players coming into this season. And also just some of these freshmen they have coming in, they have some big top recruits who coming in finally playing and, you know, maybe they won't be seeing the court as much as some of these older players, but this team is older. It has more experience than any other teams that kind of have been seen in recent years. And there's kind of feels like there's that similar drive and hunger that was there before that 2019, 2020 season when they won that big 10 title. When Maryland's had expectations in the past in their basketball program, they often haven't lived up to them, but there's no reason that they shouldn't have incredibly high expectations this year. I mean, they, like Lauren said, I mean, they were turning Dante, Hakeem and Ayala into that starting lineup that Dante and Ayala are the two leaders of the team. You saw yesterday when we were at practice, Dante emerging as a vocal leader. I mean, he's what people look to. They're both natural scorers, can step out. Um, they're really three-level scorers. When they, they can hit threes at a high level. They can attack the basket, good at getting downhill, making explosive plays. But they also then they add to the starting lineup is Fats Russell and, and Kudus Wahab, which is incredible. Just the, the two positions they needed when a pure point guard and Fats, and for Q, a, a center. I think one thing that I'm looking forward for is Q making more of an impact just as a low post presence. I mean, they needed rebounding last year, which of course he's going to bring. And I think they're working on him stepping out and being able to stretch the floor, maybe run some pick and pops and be able to knock down a jumper from 15 feet. So I'm expecting a lot from, from this team. And it was also, it was good to be back at media day in person. But another thing is this team has a ton of chemistry. And when usually when you have moving parts and guys coming in, you're not going to have that chemistry from you're not going to have that chemistry from from transfers. But Fats, Hakeem, Ayala, and Dante, they've played ball all summer together. They've a lot of them have known them since they were in junior high. They've known each other since for years now. So I mean, this isn't like a new team, and that's something Kurt Turgeon just talked about. I mean, this is one of the teams that really like each other and have chemistry. So you're going to see a lot of different differences between last year's team and this year in terms of chemistry, the size, the pace of play they're going to play with. And there's, there should be expectations for good reason coming into this year. And, you know, there's always those talks of, oh, go ahead, Lauren. No. no. Oh, oh, no, back to me. Okay. So, you know, going into like media days and preseason, there's always talk of these players being in the you know, best shape of their lives and how they've you know, worked on their game and gotten better in all aspects. It's all positive and great and grand. But just from what you guys saw, just who changed physically, just from what you could see, who did anybody get taller, who's getting stronger from what you were seeing with, you know, in the, during the open practice? Well, first, yeah, I, I mean, would... no, I was going to say without a doubt, it's James Graham and Hakeem Hart and, Sam, I'll leave it to you to talk about Hakeem Hart, but I was talking to James Graham yesterday a little bit. You know, he arrived early to Maryland, uh, came out of high school a little bit earlier, and had the chance to get on the court a little bit. So Maryland, um, Turgeon, and the rest of the team and the fans were able to see him play a little bit. But since he played in those eight games last season, he has become a completely different player. So he says, and 
so it seems honestly. He's dropped a little over 30 pounds since coming to Maryland. I believe that he was weighing around 237-ish when he first got here, a little bit lower to around that range. And he said that he weighed in yesterday and that, you know, he's now down to around 201. And I think he's listed as 205. So he's lost weight, which has allowed him to completely change his game. He said that he used to be a bad defender. Now he's dropped some of this weight and he's become a much stronger defender. He said he had cut out carbs for a long period of time. After cutting out carbs, he went back to just like kind of carb loading around working out and that it completely changed how he plays. He can even now play different positions. He's now planning on playing, I guess, the two and three a little bit more because he's much more versatile and he's smaller and it allows him to really kind of play more around the court. And I think that'll benefit Maryland to kind of have this player who is really versatile. And I think it also kind of speaks to his work ethic, the work that he's put in on his own body and his health and his fitness over this off season. I think that's a good sign for Maryland in the future. James Graham is a young guy. And so to kind of see the dedication that he put in, um, even if he's not getting as many minutes, um, I mean, we don't necessarily know how much he'll be playing, but, you know, I think just knowing that he's this committed to being the best player he can be is a really good sign for Maryland. Yeah, the depth is a huge thing. And that, that was really evident yesterday. And we're not sounding, I mean, we're, we are sounding incredibly optimistic, but it's not just because we saw this in one practice or talking to these people. I mean, this was on paper too coming in. When you look at the depth this team has, when you look at the chemistry of how long they've known each other and just the, the roster construction, which is really one of the best rosters Turgeon's had in quite some time. But one thing that I noticed um, from Hakeem Hart was, yes, it was very, we heard rumors that his body was completely transformed. He was taller, which is hard to believe even when he's still growing at 20 years old and the fact that he's he's bigger. But it, when you're seeing, when you're next to him, it's clear he's he's grown at least two inches. He's put on a ton of muscle. Turgeon said it was 15 pounds. I believe it because it certainly looks like it. But the one thing I was looking at was his jumper. I mean, it looked different. It's like seriously looked different. He'd been a streaky shooter. Coming in, he, had, he was known as a three-point shooter, but in his two years here, he'd really been streaky. And then we talked to Matt Brady, the assistant coach who works with Hakeem and the rest of the guys on their jump shot. I mean, they talked about the exact mechanical changes he made with Hakeem is when he was pushing the ball, making it more out in front of him. And it, it looked much better. We saw him hitting threes in practice and just the form was revamped and it was, it was impressive to watch. So the Maryland men. And I Maryland think his job. work. At... No, nope, I was just going to add on to that quickly that. Tingler was also saying yesterday, who's one of the new assistant coaches, he came from South Carolina, that Hakeem Hart is the guy that has stood up to him since getting to Maryland, that he's grown, he's matured. But not only that, he is putting in the work with, you know, um, assistant coach Matt Brady and everyone else, Matt Brady and everyone else, where, you know, I think that um, Bruce Tingler was kind of saying that he wants, he has the mindset that is like, I'm trying to be a starter in the Big Ten. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to compete at this high level. And it seems like it really paid off. And I guess we'll really see if it does, depending on how successful Maryland is. We certainly see. I just want to wrap up one more thought. I don't know if you're going to end it. No, no, one more thought. I love thoughts. Go ahead. I know you love thoughts. All right. Um, I was just going to say, we talk about fats. Fats Russell, I mean, he's another one where they could have legitimate three-point shooting if Hakeem really makes that jump, makes that step. Because we know Ayala and Dante can knock down threes. Fats is a guy, when he was a sophomore at Rhode Island, he averaged uh, 18 points per game on 35% shooting from three-point range. That's really good. Those numbers dropped last, last season when he was a junior to 14 points per game on 23% three-point shooting. 
but he told us yesterday he was not healthy the entire year. He didn't even practice during the year. He just he just really just jumped right into games because he wasn't healthy. So that's clearly why that was. And he said that Brady worked on it. Matt Brady worked on a shot with him too, and it's helped him. So if he, as the true point guard, is also a legitimate threat from deep, I mean, this could be a really great shooting team that's also going to be tough-nosed defensively. And I expect a top-five finish in the Big Ten. All right. So that'll finally wrap it up. I'm finally not interrupting anybody. Okay. So that'll do it for this week's Testudo Times podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. We covered Maryland football and got into a little of Maryland men's basketball, which we will certainly get into more. That is now 27 days away, I want to say. So that'll do it for the Testudo Times podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And we will get back to you next week during Maryland's bye week, and we'll preview the upcoming Minnesota game. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next Wednesday. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.